glad you're here. Certainly thankful for the opportunity to speak to you today. There is a guest with us that I wish would beat it and get lost, and that's old man Winter. Um, we just woke up and he was here, but maybe he won't be here long. Are you skilled at identifying plants? I'll admit I'm not great at it. As I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit better. But when I was a boy, I was so impressed at how good my dad was at identifying plants. We would travel across the country on trips, and I couldn't believe that he knew all the crops. Dad, what's that one coming up? What that's gonna, what's that going to be? What's going to be? It's going to be corn, Brad. Okay. We drive a little further. We might see some more crops. I say, Dad, what's, what's that going to be? Oh, that's soybeans. Okay. All right. What's this one? Well, that's, that's cotton, Brad. And I couldn't believe that he knew all these. And I always trusted him that he knew until he started talking about alfalfa. And I thought, I, I'm not sure he knows that one. And that's just his go-to for the one he doesn't know. But as I've gotten older, I realized that it does indeed check out. I was a youth minister for years. I remember one particular young man who was brilliant, who could identify any tree, any plant. It was as if he was a, a boy botanist at 15 or 16. And I remember my wife and I and our two children at the time were walking with him by a building. And there was some landscaping beside the building. And he said, whoa, now see that over there? Don't let your children eat that. It's poisonous. Okay, all right. We're not in the habit of feeding our kids from flower beds, but thank you. They do make some questionable food choices at times, but I've never said, here, honey, grab some of that fern until we can get home. We'll get you a fruit snack. But to be fair, it is nice to know what you're dealing with because some things are dangerous and it's helpful to know if they're hurtful or helpful. It's good to know what you're dealing with. We moved to a new house in Houston many years ago and we had a beautiful backyard. There were big trees and there was lots of uh, different plants and there was a, a big deck and a pergola. There were some things growing in those places in our backyard around the landscaping and the flower beds we didn't recognize. And everybody talks to their plants. And here in West Texas, we talk to our plants and we try to do some convincing, please grow, please get bigger, don't die. Well, in South Texas, especially in Southeast Texas, it's more where there's rain and humidity. We say, please stop growing. Please don't take over my house. Please don't hurt my family. Please don't... <laughs> Make me mow three times a week. Well, there was this plant beginning to grow up that pergola, up the, the beams, and begin to weave through it. And it looked interesting. We were debating whether we should just let it go and, and see what happens to see if it would create some kind of cool canopy or something. But we weren't sure what it was. So my wife decided to cut some of it off and and take it to a nursery uh, to feed it to some children. No, not that type of nursery, a plant nursery. 
Well, my wife walks into this place and she shows an employee, well, what is this? What, what's growing in our backyard? The employee is also unsure and, and they say, hey, you've got to go to the back of the building. There's this guy who is a plant expert. Uh, you'll know him when you see him. He'll be back there and he'll know exactly what it is. So my, my wife finds him and starts in on the explanation of this plant that's taking over and maybe what we're planning to do. And she needed help identifying it. There were some people also around who were intrigued and were watching and starting to listen. It was, it was as if they were starting to creep closer to find out what this mystery plant was. Kind of like an episode of Antiques Roadshow. Like people were wondering, what if this plant is worth something or maybe it's good for nothing? We were hoping it was some kind of flowering vine that would provide shade and it would have blossoms in the spring or something like that. Uh, we were hoping, like some of our other neighbors, they had berries growing wild in their flower beds and in their backyards. And we hoped that those berries were coming to our yard and they were just going to take over and there'd be berries everywhere. Our children would be playing outside. We'd be picking organic berries. We'd have too many. We'd have to share with the neighbors We'd probably start making jams and jellies. We'd be a jarring family. It, it was going to be a wonderful thing. We had so many hopes for this plant. Well, my wife and some curious onlookers leaned in as the, the gentleman examined it for a bit. He looked it over and he said, well, what you have here is a weed. Well, no one was impressed by that. They went back to perusing petunias and, well, of course, we went home and we cleaned out the flower bed and ended the dream of the pergola with the berry vine canopy overhead. Chapter 10 of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah compares two places and two plants. Really, the Lord compares these as Jeremiah would record this section as, thus says the Lord. The prophet turns poet for a moment, pinning of one plant barely surviving in a barren place and one thriving in a place of blessing. The trouble at the time was God's people had exhibited a systemic sinfulness as their hearts were turned away from the Lord. A pattern of idolatry, misguided allegiance, and misplaced trust so deeply carved into their national character that devastating judgment is certain. And they will experience the consequences of these sins. It would cost them everything, including their freedom. Jeremiah illustrates this vital truth in this brief section about two types of trust. Ultimately, their trust was positioned in the wrong place. The same is true for us this morning. What or who we turn our hearts towards where we position our trust will determine whether we dwell in a wasteland or near life-giving waters. This morning, I want you to consider today where your trust lies. If you're not already there, I want you to turn on or turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verse 5 with me. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart 
turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. When we consider what cursed means here, think of someone constantly beset by the consequences of a willful decision. The result is a most miserable man. And while in many cases in Scripture the blessings come before the curse, like in Psalm 1, which this section strongly resembles, here they're inverted, cursed mentioned before blessing, Judah's sin singled out. It's the sin of trusting on the inadequate strength of mankind to deliver the nation. Only the Lord has such strength, and only he is to be trusted. I want you to see the characteristics of the cursed. First, Jeremiah says, the cursed trusts in man, verse 5 tells us. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Judah had been trusting in false gods and foreign alliances, but God through Jeremiah indicated that a person who trusts in man for power and protection is cursed. Now, certainly, We can be helped by mankind as God enables them to help us, but we must rest our trust in God alone. The warning of resting your trust in man is not an uncommon theme in Scripture. Psalm 118.8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 146.3, do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. God's saying to them, don't put your trust in the created, put it in the creator. They would be willingly choosing withering over prospering. Recently, my son and I went to Boston for a special trip. We spent the day there. We walked around the city. It was amazing. And in fact, that night we went and watched the Yankees and the Red Sox play. It was the most fun I've had in a very long time. The next day, however, we were leaving the area, and so we were picking up a car in the middle of Boston and then driving out of the city. Folks, I've driven all over the U.S. I lived in Houston for years, but driving in Boston is different. My son had queued up the directions on my phone, and we took off. The traffic was terrible. And I I have to say this, and I know she's always listening, but she needs to hear it. Siri could not keep up. (laughs) The twists, the turns, they were happening too fast. There was far too much construction and detours. There was no time to react. And we kept missing the exits and the turns. And every time she would be a couple seconds late to tell us what to do. And it would add five to ten minutes every time to our arrival time. And we just kept going in circles wondering where we were. Siri was just as lost as we were. My son and I were getting so frustrated. We were ready to throw that phone out the window to be trampled on the Freedom Trail. (laughs) 
And then we thought about maybe just tossing it in the Boston Harbor like an iPhone tea party. <laughs> just yelling, no navigation without information. <laughs> the truth was this man-made technology was limited in a myriad of ways. True, it can be helpful to a point, but it's limited, unreliable, untrustworthy, and ultimately taking us to a place we didn't want to go. In similar fashion, you can't put your full trust in mankind. It's limited. It will take you to a place you don't want to be. People, policies, politics, institutions, nations, they are ever-changing, unreliable. God isn't. Mankind will fail. God won't. Your trust is only secure in the Lord. Jeremiah says, cursed is the one who trusts in man. A characteristic of the curse is they trust in man. Next, he's tied to his own strength and makes flesh his strength. In the original language, it reads more like who makes flesh their arm. See, the arm is a symbol of strength, and the, the flesh is the representation of mortal man in relation to an omnipotent, all-powerful God. Man is mere flesh and blood. In fact, in the original language, there are three distinct words used in the Hebrew for man, which we render man, mankind, and flesh. And all three words for man are symbols of humanity's frailty and mortality. Charles Spurgeon said, resting on an arm of flesh seems to be the hereditary disease of all God's people. The one tied to their own strength feels in control, but eventually gets tied up and can't untie themselves. Like a child that protests to parents saying, I can do it myself, yet doesn't have the capability, so is the one leaning on their own resources. There are some significant milestones in the life of a father. One often overlooked is when someone in his family hands him a jar they can't open. <laughs> It could be because some, someone has something on their hands because they're cooking, they're doing other things, but, but that's not important. The truth is most men have been waiting in the wings for a time such as this. Even better is when that jar has been passed around to several people and they can't do it. And they say, Dad, Dad is summoned. <laughs> Dad takes that jar and grabs it and begins to turn it and hears that <laughs> you can almost see his cape flowing in the wind behind him <laughs> my wife is very nice and if she's the one that handed it to me she'll say something like oh my hero <laughs> now it sounds a bit silly but stay with me some of us live lives carrying around a big old jar we can't open. We try, we pry, we struggle in our finite strength. We lug it around, weighed down and weary, frustrated, completely spent. I can get it, I can get it. 
You can even pass it around to other people, but they too have limited strength. That's why whatever you're carrying belongs in the hands of our Father. His power, limitless. It's foolishness to make flesh our arm. Jeremiah says, cursed is the one who trusts his own strength. A characteristic of the cursed is he trusts in man. He's tied to his own strength and then he turns his heart from God, verse 5 tells us. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. In ancient Hebrew, the heart was the the center of not only the emotions, but the thoughts and the motivations of a person, the seat of moral conduct. If someone had turned their heart from God, their thoughts, their emotions and attitudes, their motivations were apart from God. There's a passage in 1 Kings that I think illustrates this well, where it's mentioned that Solomon, well, he had turned away from what his father had taught him. He was doing evil in the sight of the Lord and didn't follow him with his whole heart. And the issue was that his heart was turned away. Because just a few verses before that one, it talks about the women, the wives, and the concubines who he had taken, who had turned his heart away from the Lord. And now scripture is telling us he's not wholly following the Lord Do you remember the first and greatest commandment? Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. With your whole heart. Having your heart turned to God means he has all of your heart. If a man with all the wisdom in the world can find his heart turned to the wrong things, so can you. So can I. See, you can't be turned to more than one thing. You're either turned to the Lord or you're turned to something else or someone else. What are you facing turned to now that makes you turn your back on God? We must continually ask him, is my heart Holy yours. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who turns his heart from God. And the characteristics of the cursed are he trusts in man, he's tied to his own strength, and he turns his heart away from God. And the, the consequences of the cursed are a, a desert dwelling, verse 6 tells us. It will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in a stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants. See, the consequences of the cursed are a desert dwelling, dry, for he will be like a bush in the desert, destitute, and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in the stony waste in the wilderness, deserted, a land of salt that is not inhabited. It's where the one who has chosen to put trust in anyone or anything outside of the Lord lives, a desert dwelling. And you say, Brad, I love Scottsdale, though. We went there on vacation. You know it's a dry heat. No. No, not Scottsdale at all. 
He'll be like a bush in the desert, won't see prosperity, will live in stony waste and wilderness, a land of salt that's not inhabited. Have you heard of the Donakil Depression? It's in Ethiopia, and it's a landscape which consists of burning salt, volcanic rock, sulfuric acid, is considered the most uninhabitable place on earth. It has numerous volcanoes inside the depression. One has hypothermal properties that are toxic. Biologists biologists say that it's one of the most inhospitable places on earth. Jeremiah is describing that kind of dwelling place. It's cursed. Don't put your trust in a death trap. It's not suitable for a vibrant life. Now, can you imagine if this was for sale and it was a real estate listing settled in an uninhabitable depression nestled next to a toxic volcano. This hut has it all. Burning salt, toxic volcanoes and sulfuric acid. Come live for a while in this destitute, lonely, unstable dwelling. Hate water and all living things. This is the place for you. Price to move quickly. What are the taxes? 100% of all your physical and emotional health. The cost, everything you have. Listen, where we position our trust will determine whether our hearts dwell in a garden or a graveyard. It sounds crazy when we would read that, that we would never choose that. We would never pursue such a place to live. But if we're not careful, we get complacent and our hearts don't drift towards trusting God. They drift towards disobedience and we must intentionally Direct our hearts to trust the Lord. Our hearts often need a new heading. This would cost God's people everything, and it will cost you dearly as well. One of the most beloved passages on trust in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But don't stop there. Listen to the next couple of verses. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Living in the wilderness wasteland will wear you down. When we turn our heart to God, it will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. Are you living there today? (laughs) You'll see it in your life. You see it in the way you think, the way you spend your time, the way that you talk to people. What's down in the well will eventually come up in the bucket. Listen to Jeremiah's warning. Now, in this passage, the the tenor brightens and the blessed are considered. One noted theologian said, Jeremiah first removed the weeds, the false truths, truths so that there might be room for the good grain. Here, Jeremiah now offers the preeminent promise with hope for individuals who will live through desperate days ahead in the Babylonian exile that there is hope, but the only hope is Yahweh the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends by its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, 
but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. See, look at the benefits of the blessed in contrast. The blessed are fixed, verse 8 tells us. They're planted, rooted by the stream. They're fearless. They're not anxious. Not because they're scared. They're not, they're not because they're not facing scary things, but their, their trust is in the Lord. They're, they're fruitful. They don't cease to yield fruit. Fixed, fearless, fruitful. As opposed to dry, desolate, destitute, deserted. Now, there's a crucial aspect of this we must not miss. The text says, in the year of drought, and when the heat comes, it's to be expected. It's not a matter of if, but when we face hardship. The blessed life isn't a struggle-free life. Having a blessed life isn't determined by whether you have troubles or not. It's about, whether, it's about where you place your trust. Our lives will have challenges and troubles that are beyond our strength, but those who are planted in the right place, tapped into the right resource, turned in the right direction, those whose trust is in the Lord will be faithful and fruitful. It's how Paul and Silas can sing in prison. It's how I've seen many of you over the years remain steadfast despite hardship and suffering. Some measure of the heat will come for all of us. But it doesn't mean your life can't be or isn't blessed. And some of us might even need to reframe the way that we look of our lives. And in the light of the truth of God's word, believing a blessed life is ours, not based on a lack of trouble, but rather based on God's enduring strength, his faithfulness, allowing us to be faithful and fruitful. To borrow from our real estate analogy earlier, it's all about location, 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 where you place your trust. And there's two types of trust to be sure. You probably didn't hear about my elementary science fair project on the Russian thistle. You may know this thistle better as the tumbleweed. My project didn't send ripples to the academic world like I had hoped or garner any awards, but it, it did teach me some things. Namely, tumbleweeds are unstable. They often live in dry places, grow shallow roots, and eventually they go wherever the wind blows. Wedged up against the fence for a few days, down in a gutter for a week, across the road, and eventually stuck in the grill of a suburban. That's a picture of the one that isn't trusting the Lord. Wherever the winds of life blow, wherever their circumstances take them, there they are, never enjoying the good that is found in a trust rooted in the Lord. Some of us have tumbleweed trust, but there is another option. An option the Lord gives us through Jeremiah, a tree trust. A trust of one that has positioned themselves by the living water that has decided to dig deep roots there, drawing strength. They're growing somehow, even though the drought has come. Even more, they're both faithful and fruitful. 
When the heat has come and gone, they are unmoved. What about you? You trust like a tree or a tumbleweed. The characteristics of the cursed are he trusts in man. He's tied to his own strength and he turns his heart away from God. What are the consequences? It leaves him dry, destitute, and deserted. But the blessed, they trust in God. The benefits are he is fixed and fearless, even fruitful in the day of drought. Later in this passage, Jeremiah tells us that the Lord knows the heart, that he searches us, that he examines us. I wonder what it would be like if you walked to the back of heaven's garden today to go talk to the gardening expert. And like the psalmist, you said, Lord, examine me, search my heart, know my thoughts, look in me, tell me what you see. Would he look at your trust where your heart is positioned? Would he say, you have a tree trust. You're rooted right where you need to be. Or would he look at your heart and say, what you have there, what you have there is a weed. See, we all have seasons of desert wandering, but don't live there. You get, to si- you get to decide. Uh, listen, no matter where you currently reside, the Lord loves you and there is hope. There's hope for you and I today. There is always hope in Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've never turned to him and trusted him for salvation. I, I pray that today would be that day that you are forgiven and made a new creation for others We've put our faith and trust in Christ to save us and to go and prepare for us an eternal dwelling place. And yet, we tragically choose a temporary dwelling here, turned away from him in our daily lives. There is very little that we have control of in this life. And as we're reminded today, we are certainly not in control of the weather we face. The drought the heat, the trouble that comes our way. But there is a rare place in which we get to decide that we have some control in. It's where your heart is turned, where your trust lies, and it will dictate your whole life. Determine daily. I will put my trust in the Lord. I will turn my heart to him each day. Listen, there is no life outside of him. Choose him. Trust him. Turn to him. Go and be blessed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you do for us.
God, I thank you that we can put our faith and trust in you. Lord, as we flip through the pages of our history, the days of our lives, we see one word on each page. Faithful. Lord, help us not to drift where we shouldn't go. Not to let our hearts be drawn away. To be disobedient. To go to that place where we know is a desert dwelling. But God, may we each day orient our hearts towards you. Not trusting in our own strength or in the ways of man. But God, fully trusting in you. God, may we experience the abundant life, the blessed life that you came to give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.